you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the 4th White House Radio Network. Welcome to Episode 5 of Reclaiming the Faith. A podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us. Today, I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. In episode 5, I'm going to be discussing Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus commanded his disciples, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How does the context surrounding that verse help us understand what Jesus meant? We'll also be looking at how modern teachers have used the hyper-grace message to disregard this command of Jesus. But finally, how the earliest Christians embraced Jesus' teaching on this matter. And if you're blessed by this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you take time to leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com. I know that's kind of weird sounding, but it's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com. Or you can email me at email philsbaker at gmail.com. And I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. In addition to our own channels, you can find each of our podcasts at the Fourth Watch Radio website or on the Fourth Watch Radio podcast. And finally, If you'd like to get a copy of my book about this journey that Jesus and the early Christians have taken me on, you can purchase it on Amazon. And again, if it's a blessing to you, please leave me an honest review there. Well, once again, it's called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. Okay, no more intro stuff. Let's get episode five rolling. Well, the newest addition to the Baker family is a 75-pound Airedale Terrier named Zeke. Now, I'm not ashamed to say it. He's my baby boy. Well, we got Zeke a little over two years ago when he was already one year old. Zeke was an outside country dog, and he didn't have any home training. So it was quite an adjustment bringing him indoors and introducing him to city life. And though he already possessed a strong protective instinct, Zeke needed a lot of training. Well, uh, my wife would say he still needs a lot of training. And when he tries to give hugs to friends and family that he hasn't seen in a while, or when he's counter surfing for a snack between meals, uh, one of two not so healthy reactions usually arises within me. Sometimes, I get drawn in by his puppy dog eyes and I think, look at that face. I can't stay mad at you. You're perfect. And other times, I get defensive towards Stephanie and say something along the lines of, take it easy. He's not perfect like God. He's just a dog. You should show him some grace. 
And unfortunately, neither of those approaches toward perfection are beneficial to my family, our house guests, or even toward Zeke. And as I've written about in uh, various blog entries, popular teacher Joseph Prince has created a theology that prevents him from feeling any guilt over not obeying the commands of Jesus given before the cross. This is some hyper-grace theology. And given that understanding, you know he's going to have an interesting take on Jesus' command in Matthew 5.48 for his disciples to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's what he has to say. My friend, God sees you perfect without any spot of sin. He sees you covered in the beautiful white robes of his own righteousness. He treats you like a righteous man because that is what he has made you. So expect good things to happen to you because blessings are on the head of the righteous. To see yourself as far from being perfect is to fail to understand the perfect sacrifice that Jesus has made for you. That's Joseph, or yeah, Joseph Prince. Now that sounds really nice, doesn't it? But if Christians are eternally perfect in God's eyes, why does Jesus tell the church at Pergamum in the book of Revelation that he will wage war against them unless they repent of their idolatry and sexual immorality. If Christians are eternally perfect in God's eyes, why does Jesus tell the church at Sardis that though they have a reputation for being alive, they are actually dead, and if they don't repent, he will come against them like a thief? If Christians are eternally perfect in God's eyes, why does Jesus tell the church at Laodicea that they are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? If Christians are eternally perfect in God's eyes, why does Peter write in 1 Peter 3 that Christian husbands who do not treat their wives with gentle understanding will have their prayers hindered? Further, why does he warn that God turns his face and ears away from Christians who do evil. So, even though we are made completely clean when we receive Jesus, even though we're forgiven of all the sins we've committed and declared righteous, adopted children of God, clearly we are not always perfect in God's sight. So, What does Jesus mean when he says, be perfect as God is perfect? Well, let's start with the context of the passage in question. Let's start in verse 43 of chapter 5, the book of Matthew. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, when we, when we read Jesus' words in context, we can quickly discern that Jesus is not saying that we need to be perfectionists. He is not making the argument that we should strive to never make mistakes. What he is saying, though, is so simple and yet so challenging that many, many teachers of the gospel have manufactured rationalizations to disregard this command. Jesus is imploring us to leave behind a worldly, childish form of love for a heavenly, mature kind that reflects the character of God our Father. He is calling us to forsake a tit-for-tat immaturity and instead choose to grow up in our faith and act like Him. Just as He stated earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, that peacemakers will be called the sons of God, Jesus now says that those who genuinely choose to love their enemies will be called sons of our Heavenly Father. What a powerful and timeless message laid out for us, and what a relevant charge for Christians in this upside-down time that we're living in where vengeance is praised as virtuous. But what about the early Christians? How did they interpret this charge to be perfect as God is perfect? Well, Clement of Alexandria was basically in charge of overseeing the new members class for the church in Alexandria, Egypt, toward the end of the second century. He was highly, highly respected by his peers and wrote this about Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 in volume 2 of the Antinicene Fathers around 195 AD. He said, Be perfect as your heavenly Father, perfectly. Now, the Father wishes us to be perfect by living blamelessly, according to the obedience of the gospel. Cyprian was the bishop of Carthage in the middle of the 3rd century. The dude is one of my heroes. Not only did he write a ton of material, not only was he hunted down and eventually martyred for his faith, but before coming to Christ, he was a wealthy man. And the story of the rich young ruler played a huge part in his conversion, and he soon sold everything that he had and gave the money to the poor Christians in Carthage, devoting the rest of his life to furthering the gospel. Cyprian was just an incredible man of God, and he had this to say about Jesus' command to be perfect as God is perfect, citing the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 where Jesus calls the rich and powerful young man to imitate him and pursue a godly form of perfection. Here's Cyprian. And therefore the Lord, the teacher of good things, forewarning the future time, says, If you will be perfect, go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And if rich men did this, they would not perish by their riches. They would follow the Lord loosed and free, as did the apostles, and many in the times of the apostles, and many who forsook both their means and their relatives and held fast to Christ with undivided ties. But how can they follow Christ who are held back by the chain of their wealth? They think that they possess when rather they are possessed. That's Cyprian in 250, volume 5. Now, whether it's the issues of loving our enemies or materialism, Jesus is not content to let us act like spoiled worldly teenagers. We are not at the center of the universe. God is, and we exist by Him, through Him, and for Him. As Christians, we are His children, so we need to grow and act to be more like our Heavenly Father. He loves the evil and the good, and He generously and mercifully left behind all the riches of heaven to demonstrate that love to us. The Greek word for perfect used in these passages is teleos. It means something that becomes full-grown by going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal. That's a far different use of the word perfect than I use with Zeke, but it's the one that I should be using. And with that definition in mind, think about this passage from James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that you may be perfect and complete. So that you may become teleos. See, according to James... In order to become perfect, in order to become mature and complete in our faith, we must faithfully persevere through and endure various trials. And this will not be easy work like loving those who love us. This will not be comfortably accomplished like doing good to those who do good to us. No, If we want to become more like Christ, if we want to be perfect, we will have to faithfully, lovingly, and earnestly strive for it. And like genuinely doing good to those who hurt us, it is going to be a difficult and narrow road to walk. I've had the opportunity to go to Mozambique three times to teach seminars on various Bible topics. And the reason for that is that my sister-in-law is a full-time missionary in Mozambique. 
And she and her missionary friend, Allie, have been faithfully serving there for nearly a decade. And I want to tell you a story about her missionary friend, uh, Allie's father and mother. On December 24th, 2012, that's Christmas Eve, Allie's father was beaten to death as he walked to his church to play the organ for their Christmas Eve service. The men who committed the vicious murder had no motive. They did not know Allie's father. He had done nothing wrong, and they had nothing to hold against him. They took his life in a brutal way, without hesitation and without provocation. As Allie's mom and her family sat in court, it was impossible to perceive any repentance or remorse on the part of the murderers. When the men heard the sadistic nature of their crime described in painful detail, they displayed only anger and frustration at being caught. They did not seem in the least bit sorry for what they had done. Now, this story was highly publicized in the national news, and the courthouse was crawling with reporters with cameras ready to catch the family's response. Anyone would have understood if Allie's mom lashed out in anger toward her husband's killers. However, she surprised millions by publicly offering forgiveness to the murderers. She explained that she was doing so because that is what Jesus did for her. That is what he did for all of us. Now, the response was incredible. Scores of people began to get in touch with her, looking for a better understanding of how she could forgive such a crime. And Allie's mother had the joy of pointing them all to Christ. Strangers showed up on her doorstep wanting to talk, and people stopped her in the supermarket or when she was in line at the bank. She began to receive hundreds of letters from people all over the country who were moved by what they had witnessed. Many described how they had been convinced to turn back to a Christ that they had abandoned years ago, or how they, had been, how they had been inspired to forgive an offense that they had been holding on to for decades, or how they wanted to know more about God. Various British television programs invited Allie's mom to talk about her stance on forgiveness, and the church asked her to talk at various peace and reconciliation forums. She was even awarded a medal from the Queen of England. Everywhere she went, she encountered people who were hungry to know more about God from her in a way that she, a natural evangelist, had longed for her entire life. People who had never met her before could look at her life and recognize, in what was for many the first time, a true demonstration of God's love. I believe that Allie's mother was able to reach so many people during such a difficult time because 
She allowed herself to be led by the Spirit rather than the flesh. And she admits that forgiving her husband's murderers would not have been something that she would have been able to achieve in her own goodness or her own strength. It was not possible for her to forget what those men had done to her and what they had done to make her husband suffer so much or how they had shown him no mercy or how they had hurt him over and over again. Forgiveness was not her instinctive response. However, after many years of following Jesus and wondering at his willingness to forgive her own offenses, it was her heart's desire to let the Spirit do his work in her. She longed to be perfect as her Heavenly Father is perfect, not in a sense of never making mistakes, but in a sense of a full-grown, mature love that does good and shows mercy to the unrighteous, the ungrateful, the undeserving, and the evil. A love like Jesus displayed on the cross when he willingly gave his life for the sake of of his enemies, and for the countless men and women who would never so much as even say thank you. So, as we close down this podcast, allow me to ask, what trial is God currently allowing you to go through? What enemy is God calling you to demonstrate tangible love to? What worldly thing is God calling you to leave behind or relinquish ownership of so that others can experience his blessing? In what way do you need to change your perspective on perfection to be more in line with God's mission for your life? I know these are difficult callings, and I struggle with them. But let's not just run away from Jesus' challenge by saying, nobody's perfect, or by simply declaring ourselves perfect in God's eyes, regardless of how post-resurrection Christians are spoken to in the scriptures. I want to invite you to struggle with me, and together, let's learn to persevere in these trials allowing them to have their perfect result in us. With our Heavenly Father's end goal for us to be perfect and complete like Jesus. And if you will choose to stay the course on that road, what a powerful and inspirational legacy you will leave for those who follow after you. God bless you. Easier said than it's done Cast it out and love someone, yeah Absorb their poison like a sponge And take a breath for love has won
muster About a hopeless life, no 